Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, once upon a time, a man went to visit the devil's workshop. Once inside, he saw all the tools of his evil work. Laying on his workbench were the tools of envy and jealousy, the tool of hatred and malice, deceit, the tool of sensuality, pride, idolatry, anger, and lust. All of these tools were there. But over in the corner, the man noticed another tool. It was a harmless-looking tool, a wedge-shaped tool. He noticed that it had a lot of wear on it. The man asked the devil what it was, and he answered, Oh, that's discouragement. The next question came quickly. And why is it worn so much more than the other tools? Because, replied the devil, it's more useful to me than all of these others. I can pry open and get into man's heart with it. And when I cannot get near him with any other tool. And once I get inside, he says, I can use him in whatever way suits me best. It is worn well because I use it on everybody. I can, and few people even know it belongs to me. Well, the man asked, well, how, how could he avoid having it used on him? And the devil replied, well, if I told you, then I wouldn't be the devil, now would I? You see, one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses in our lives, guys, is discouragement. And discouragement, if we break it down, we notice that it's the state of being discouraged. If you just look at discouraged, it's to deprive of or to be absent of courage or confidence. That's one of the greatest arsenals that the enemy uses in every one of our lives. And I think without being saved, guys, you cannot overcome the devil in his ways. Without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you're powerless and victory is unattainable. To be absent of courage, to be discouraged, or confident renders us ineffective. See, here's what happens. We find ourselves in a depressed state of being, and we conceive ourselves as useless and hopeless when we try. Discouragement. Now, last week, church, we learned that the people of the land, we'll call them foreigners, right? The foreigners, those that surrounded Jerusalem, heard that the children of Israel had come back to rebuild the temple. Everybody get that in your mind, okay? They tried everything they could to infiltrate the work and to get them to compromise the work. Now, here's what I want you to see, and I want you to see how it ties in even today, okay? The children of Israel are coming back, and they're going to rebuild the temple, right? And all of a sudden, the the people around them are going, "Mm mm-hmm, wait a minute, did you hear that, right? And they'll do everything you could to infiltrate the work and get them to compromise the work. Well, even today, guys, today we see that our president said that now he's going to move the capital of Israel back to Jerusalem. And for us, the Christian, it's one more piece of the puzzle before we get to go home. Israel, Jerusalem has always been the capital. It had moved over to Tel Aviv. And every president said they were going to move it back to Jerusalem and never have. 
You watch the news in the next few days how the opposition is going to come out of the woodwork to stop and thwart the plan of moving the capital of Israel back to Jerusalem. Much like the book of Ezra. Mark my words. It's up for us, we're excited. We're like, yes. For other people, those are fighting words. So by way of recap, remember, the book of Ezra, it begins with Cyrus's decree in about 538 BC that the Jews should return to Jerusalem. After two years later, in about 536 BC, about 50,000 Jews flooded into Jerusalem and to begin the temple project. After 70 years, remember, in exile, the people of Israel were coming back home. It was so exciting and so amazing. 70 years we've been in bondage. 70 years we've been out of the land, and now we get to go home. And the new Persian emperor, Cyrus, had decreed for us to go back home. We get to go home. What are we going to do when we get home? We get to build the temple. We get to worship the Lord. And we realized that for the last 70 years, when Israel was out in Babylon, the temple laid in ruins. And we see that in Ezra chapter 1. While Zerubbabel and Jeshua, these are descendants of King David and Aaron the priest, answered the call to rebuild the house of God. Here's the problem. Ready, guys? Let's, let's, let's search our hearts. The temple wasn't the only thing that needed attention. You got to grasp this. You got to understand that they were going back and they saw something physical and we gotta, we're gonna rebuild the temple. We wanna worship the Lord like we used to. This is our heritage. This is our history. But something else was going on in the heart of the people. In the heart of the Jewish people. You go, what was that? Guys, Many of the returning Hebrews have forgotten God's laws. And they were disregarding them in front of all the people. And what they needed is they needed to remember the covenant they had made with God. They needed to remember, listen, why they were in that situation and why they had gone to Babylon. See, a lot of times we'll just see the, the captain obvious. We'll see the temple needs to be rebuilt and God wants to do something deep in our hearts. You go, well, what was going on? Why, why did the people need attention? Well, you can jot this down if you're taking note. Guys, there are two words. You go, what are they? Disobedience and idolatry. Disobedience and idolatry. God said, here's what I need you to do. Obey me. Let the land rest. Every seven years, let the land rest. Israel's like, no, thank you. We're going to do things our way. 490 years, God said, that's enough. You are going to be exiled. Babylon comes in. For 70 years, the land had rest, disobedience. The second thing is that idolatry. They began to worship other gods. And so they find themselves in a mess. Let me give you a nugget of truth, church. These are the same two areas we as believers struggle with in our walks. These are the same exact areas. You go, what, pastor? Well, disobedience to his word. You see, the Bible says that Jesus looks at it and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Just do my word. Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And for some reason, we struggle so much in obedience to God's word. Well, did God really mean? Well, listen, I'm under grace. Help me. And so 
We struggle with that. But we also struggle with idolatry. Now, I don't have time to get into that. You've heard me preach on that before. But we often take things that are very good and make it ultimate. And then we put God over here and we say, God, you're okay. Listen, we still, God's still good, but, but I'm going to serve this. I'm going to serve this. And that's what the children of Israel are doing. They, they, had, they, they kind of put God on the, listen, God's okay. And, 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 and here's what I want to tell you, church. God loves us too much to let us walk around in disobedience to his word. And he loves us too much to have idolatry in our hearts. He loves you too much. And yet, he's loving enough that he works and works and works to get our attention. And he speaks so that we can make a change. And he disciplines us so that we can repent and we can come back to him. That's the point. That's how much God loves us. When we begin to walk in disobedience, God goes, hey, 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 come back here. Come back. You're going to get off track there. When we walk in idolatry, God begins to discipline us. Why? Because he loves us. And he loves you so much, guys, he's never going to let you go. You've got to understand that. Well, back in the book of Ezra, we understand that it's a book of spiritual renewal. The people were coming home thinking they were going to build the foundation of the temple, but God had other plans. He was going to build in them a spiritual foundation. Now, of course, a spiritual foundation, you go, how's that? Well, here's what I want you to understand. A spiritual foundation is obviously a work of God, is it not? And when God begins to do a work in you, there's always going to be opposition. It should not, however, church, come as a surprise to us or to the apostles. Jesus had forewarned the disciples that persecution was coming. Men would react to the apostles and their teaching because they had rejected Jesus and his teachings. As a matter of fact, jot this down. We'll cover it in a few weeks. But John 15, 18 through 21 says this. Jesus is speaking. He looks at us and he says, if the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, Jesus says, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. So the very first thing we can grasp is the world is going to hate us. That's a pretty good, interesting... Uh, yeah. What you learn at church Wednesday? <laughs> the world hates me. Why? Because I'm a believer. Why does it hate you? Because it hated Jesus first. Well, give me some more. Well, Jesus says, remember in verse 20, I told you that a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they obeyed my word, they will obey yours too. But they will do all these things to you on an account of my name because they do not know the one who sent me. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, number one, listen to me. The world is going to hate you if you're a follower of Jesus. Okay, let's just get that straight. The world is going to hate you. But I want everybody to like me. They're not all going to like you. If you are a true follower, if you were saying, I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk this walk of faith, I'm going to be obedient to his word. I'm not going to compromise my walk. I'm not going to compromise my values and what and who and, and what and who I believe in. You're going to get opposition. And Jesus said this, listen, he said, he said this, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, if we were one of those churches with a church sign, I don't think that would bring a lot of people in, do you? 
if we had a church sign, guess what? Come to Calvary Chapel because you're going to get persecuted. That's not a very good church sign, right? But that's exactly what we need to grasp is that, is that there will be times as believers that the enemy wants to persecute us. And so we understand that. And so the work of God, guys, progresses. As the work of God progresses, the opposition comes. It happened here. It actually even happened, you guys remember, in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah returned to build the walls. And in chapter 4, we discovered in Nehemiah that he would advance and face setback. He would advance and something would happen. He would advance and something would happen. And all he wanted to do was build the walls. Do you guys remember why Nehemiah wanted to build the walls? You see, the temples are already going up, but we wanted walls for security. We wanted peace. We want to be able to worship the Lord without the enemy coming in in opposition. And yet, we see that Nehemiah's story shows that whenever you try to accomplish something significant for the Lord, you will be facing opposition. You guys with me? Do you understand? I mean, I mean, it's going to happen. A lot of times as Christians, we want to walk the tightrope of, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, so I'm just going to mind my own business. And yet, as believers, guys, that's what's going to happen. You're, you're going to walk for Jesus and there's going to be opposition. You go, why? Listen to me. Satan never bothers with half-hearted people who are content with a ho-hum spiritual existence. But if you come on fire for Jesus, look out, look out. He's going to come after you. You see, his name actually means adversary. He's coming and he's committed to opposing God and his people, especially when they're zealous and exalt God's glory. He hates you. He hates you. Reminds me of a story, uh, a cute story about a fellow by the name of Igor Sarkovsky. When Igor was 12, his parents told him that competent authorities had already proved human flight was impossible, right? So you got this little kid going, I just want, you know, he just, listen, son. If God wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings. You know that story. That's the opposition. But Igor went on to build the first helicopter. His American, in his American pant, he posted this sign. According to recognized aerotechnical test, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and the weight of his body in the relation to the total wing area. The bumblebee does not know this. So he goes ahead and flies anyway. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? So there's going to be opposition. Well, if you're taking note this evening, church, I'm calling this message three areas of spiritual attack. Three areas of spiritual attack. For tonight, we discover that Israel enemies will employ three areas of attack to compromise the work of God. And if you're taking notes, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about discouragement first and foremost. The second we're going to see him attack us is in the area of fear. Fear. And third, we're going to see him attack in frustration. So you've got discouragement, you've got fear, and you've got frustration. That's where we pick up our story. We looked at it last week, but just so we get a good run and go, look at Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. Now, 
when the adversaries, everybody see that, right? Ezra is writing and he's saying, these are our enemies. When the adversaries, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of God in Israel, they came, where did they go? They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father of houses and said to him, hey guys, let us rebuild with you. For we seek your God as you do. And listen, we have sacrificed to him since, since the days of Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria, brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers of the house of Israel said, you may do nothing with us to build the house for our God, but we alone will build it to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. That's what we looked at last week. Now, here's what we know from God's word. You've got a group of people, a group of foreigners coming in going, hey, can we just help? Listen, we just want to help, okay? We, we, we just um, we want to serve and, and help you build it. And, and, and here's the problem, guys. We know that they're not sincere in their offer to help rebuild the temple, we learned last week in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 29, it said, but these various group of foreigners, these fellows right here, were, they continue to worship their own gods. You go, what are they? Well, they're the great, what? Pretenders. They're coming in going, listen, we're so busy worshiping our God, we're worshiping our God. Now, now listen, listen, let's go over here and let's just, because we've got ulterior motives. We've got ulterior motives. So as we approach Ezra 4 and 5, guys, it's not surprising to us that the Jewish pilgrims who returned from captivity and began rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem were going to face opposition. If you're taking notes, the first lesson is that our enemy will try to attack us is through discouragement. Note with me the first part of verse 4. Ezra 4, 4 says, Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, okay? That's the first thing. Now, here's what you need to understand. After a heartfelt no in verse 3, hey, can we come help? No, 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 no. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going to worship our God. Guess what? The people of the land, they come back to try to discourage the people of Judah. The first area area of attack in our lives, guys, comes in the form of discouragement. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what's going on here, and then I want you to parallel that to your life, okay? From what we see, what the inhabitants of the land, what they really wanted is they wanted influence and control. You guys with me? Influence and control, okay? That's going to be important. Influence and control. For these adversaries, the temple is not about God. It's all about them. Now let's chat for just a moment. If the overlining attack in our lives is discouragement, it's going, we're going to see, guys, that there's going to be two areas that they're really, that the area, the enemy really wants to dominate our life through, and that's through influence and control. Influence and control, okay? Wants to discourage us by influence and control. Well, if you're taking note, let me just give you Webster's definition of influence, okay? 
Listen to this. Influence, the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. That's influence, to have an effect on your character, your development, or even your behavior. Well, what about control? Check this out. Webster defines it like this. The power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. Did you see that? These two is like these th- these two are like PB and J, man. They're like peanut butter and jelly. They're both influence and control. Why? They're trying to get you to be something you're not. They're trying to get you to compromise your work. How? Through discouragement. That's the greatest tool the enemy wants to do. He wants to discourage you in your walk. I'm fired up for Jesus. I'm fired up for Jesus. I'm going to, I mean, listen, Pastor, you don't understand, man. I've, I've surrendered my life. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to seek more. I'm going to do more. I just, you got to understand, he's just overwhelming his love for me. And the enemy's going to come in. He's going to try to tweak that through, what, discouragement. How would I be discouraged? A little bit of influence, a little bit of control. A little bit of influence, a little bit of control. How so? He's going to try to gain capacity to have an effect on your character. He's going to try to modify your behavior just a little bit. And he wants the power to influence or direct your behavior. Behavior. Let me ask you this question, church. Have you seen control and influence weaken your walk with God? Have you seen control and influence weaken your walk with God? Over the banner, here's what Satan uses. He wants to use it through what? Discouragement. You go, Pastor, how so? How does he want to do this? Well, let me give you some reasons that you might feel discouraged. Number one, okay, Captain Obvious, sometimes discouragement comes from a physical cause. We are simply tired and worn out from working too long and too hard without a break. Pastor, why am I discouraged? I'm just tired. Okay, I get that. When, <coughs> when does the enemy, when does the enemy usually attack you, church? Usually about the end of the week when you're tired, you've had a rough week, it's about Friday and, and maybe even Thursday comes in and that's when you feel like, that's when the enemy knows. Why? Because he wants to discourage you when you are physically at your weakest. Well, let me give you another cause. You guys ready? Another cause of discouragement might be that we have become too idolistic. You know what? Our idols are, this is where I thought I would be and I'm not there and I can't believe this. And, and we get discouraged. We get discouraged based on, on the ideals that we thought we would be at our age or wherever we thought. You take a step back, you look at the big picture of your life. It doesn't line up to what you thought. And you can get very discouraged. That's another reason. But this is the one, the third one. This is the one, guys, that the enemy uses in our lives. This is the one that he goes after. You ready? Jot this down. So important. When you get disappointed with God. When you get disappointed with God. When, have you ever had yourself when you prayed and you prayed, and you worked for something, and it didn't happen. And as far as you could tell, you would have been, it would have been for God's glory if it had come about. And yet it it fell apart. And you even had a claim and a promise from the Bible, and as you prayed and worked, but from your perspective, 
Let me say that again. But from your perspective, God didn't keep his promise. So you begin to wonder whether you should ever try again or do anything for the Lord. Lord, Guys, listen, that's the one the enemy uses. He starts to put seeds of doubt of who God is and what? And, and he wants to use disappointment with God. Well, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be in the position you're in. If God really loved you, now listen, you prayed and, and, and God didn't come through for you, buddy. What kind of God? Does he not do that? Does he not do that? And what happens is that we begin to listen to that, guys, and we begin to become discouraged. It's his greatest tool. The children all around that, that are surrounding Jerusalem are coming in and they're using the same type of discouragement. Guys, people try to deal with their spiritual discouragement in many, many ways. Many, when they start to feel discouraged, when they plunge themselves into other things that they think will bring fulfillment. You go, well, like what? Well, entertainment. Entertainment, sports, travel, even their careers. The problem is, is tragically, even some turn to what? To drugs and alcohol, even adultery. They're trying to fulfill something in there. And all these things only dig him deeper into discouragement. You see, in Ezra 4.4, we read that the people of land discouraged the people of Judah. You realize, guys, check this out. The work on rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem stopped for about 16 years. And according to the book of Haggai, verse 1, 4 through 9, the people's focus shifted on building their own houses and neglected the building of God's house. And if the subject came up, they responded, oh, we've tried. We tried that. It didn't work. It didn't work. Do you see how it parallels your life? Do you see how you go, Lord, I thought, Lord, I prayed, Lord, and, and you didn't answer, and I didn't feel you, God, and I don't know what's going on, and I'm struggling here, and the enemy comes in at that opportune moment, and he begins to bring discouragement in your life, and you're disappointed with who God is. You don't turn your back on him, you don't walk away from him, but your walk is weakened just a little bit more. And what suffers is your prayer life. You're not praying anymore. Why? Is God even going to hear me? Does God even care anymore? And the enemy uses that tool to discourage us, guys. And that's one of the first attacks you'll see in your walks with God. Now, before we move on, I don't want to just leave it there. I want to give you some encouragement. Okay? Can I give you four ways to overcome discouragement? Like maybe you're here today and you're like, man, that's it. You know, I'm just discouraged. I'm just kind of, you know, we call it discouraged. Some of us might go, I'm super bummed. I'm super bummed out, man. I just, listen, listen. The fact that we're in the Christmas season, you can know that there are a lot of people that are very discouraged. This is their worst time of year. This is a time where they are lonely and they're just How can we overcome this? Number one, to overcome discouragement, guys, we need a fresh encounter with God's Word. We need a fresh encounter with God's Word. 
When was the last time that you and I took this Bible with just a pen and a paper and we said, God, you speak to me. Speak to me. Listen, I get that there are sermons. I get that there are podcasts. I get that we have more tools than we can. Well, let me see the Greek word. Let me see the Hebrew word. Let me see exactly. And, and we dig, dig deep. I get that. But when was the last time we had just a fresh encounter of going, okay, God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to turn off my phone and I'm going to get away from distractions. And I just want to hear from you. I just need to have this fresh encounter. I've got to listen. I've got to hear your voice. That's the first thing, guys, is we have a fresh encounter with God's Word. And when I say God's Word, I don't mean we're listening to Caleb on the way to work and they give us the verse of the day. That's, that's not enough. That's not going to dispel discouragement. We need a fresh encounter. Number two, I think we can overcome discouragement. We need to get back to work for the Lord. Guys, the best way to overcome discouragement is to serve God. What do you want me to do, God? I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. Pastor Josh and I have been having this week-long discussion about really the meaning of Christmas, and, and I don't mean that, that it, it, was the, it was Advent and it was the birth of our Savior. We get that. We get that theologically. We understand. But in the Christmas season, I'm thinking, well, what's the, what's the meaning? What's the true Right, I mean, what, where is it? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's, it's, it's right here. It's to get back to what God has called us to do. That fulfillment of going, okay, what do I need to do? And a lot of it is serving other people. Serving other people. Like, like you guys don't get it, okay? You don't get it. Because you are so generous. I mean, I'm, I'm just like super excited and busting at the seams that we could take all of this change that you have been putting in week after week. I can take this change to the bank and going, okay, I know how much the lady said we need. And her after, after care service, I know what we need. We need $395 to cover all of those kids she's saying. And we're watching, we're waiting. And we're waiting. She comes back and it's $416. And I'm just like, yes. And for us to be able to do that, guys, you don't understand. You go, I just dropped some change. No, you changed a life. Because those kids are looking for somebody that says, man, I matter to them. Somebody thought about me. One girl, she was telling me, one girl said, they, she had a sibling and they've been in foster care and they're, they're, they're about to transition out and, and they asked her, what do you want for Christmas? And she had this blank look in her face. She goes, I don't even, nobody's ever asked me that question. I've always taken care of my sibling. I, nobody's ever asked me any of that. And the point is, guys, as we go back to work and we give and we serve and that brings fulfillment in our heart and the enemy can't take that away. Yeah, well, it's just some change, man. Okay, well, what could you do this holiday season? Could, could, could you buy a couple of, of toys and give them randomly? Could you buy groceries for somebody? Could, what, what could you do? I just, I just want to surf. I just want to surf. What can I do? Number three. I can get, I can get caught there, but we've got to do communion. Number three. To overcome discouragement, guys, you ready? We must persevere in the face of opposition. We must persevere. It's going to happen. We got to persevere. We got to keep moving forward. You know what? The enemy laughs when he trips us up and we fall on our face. 
we got to get up, dust ourselves up, keep our eyes on the Lord, and keep moving forward. Why? Well, first of all, guys, we know there's going to be opposition. We know it's going to happen. We know it. But persevering means we get up and we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. Persevere in the face of opposition. Listen, let me, let me get you excited. A day is coming. Oh, a day is coming, guys, when we won't face opposition anymore. When our King of Kings returns and He is going to set everything right. And those who persecuted, those who oppose the work of God, the Lord is going to take care of. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm excited about that. But until that day, we got to keep moving forward. we got to keep moving forward. What's our goal, guys? What's our goal? Listen, our goal, if you're here and, and you've given your life to Jesus, heaven is already taken care of, right? Right? It's a gift. It's not a reward for how you work. It's a gift. It's already taken care of. So let's take somebody with us. Well, pastor, it's, it's, it's West Texas. I mean, it's, we're in the Bible belt. We're in the buckle. Everybody's saved. Keep moving forward. Keep telling. It's the same people that persecute you when life gets super hard are the same people that seek you out and go, tell me more about this Jesus. Tell me more. Number four, to overcome discouragement, we need to trust the sovereign God to accomplish his will through us. We need to trust in him. We need to trust him. We need to get to the point where we realize that everything we do has a purpose and a meaning behind it. And you won't, there are things that you're going to do here and go, oh, I messed up. Oh, I can't believe I did this. And, and, and listen, eternally there might be, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You got to trust the sovereignty of God. You go, what do you mean? There are times when you're in a hurry, you've got to go somewhere. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And every red light in the whole city you've hit. Everyone. It was green a second ago, red. Right? And then, so you get past, and you're like, and you're, you just got to be somewhere. And then somebody just kind of slowly meanders into your lane, and you are just frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Listen, God it might be protecting you from something. And what I want you guys to grasp is that everything happens for a reason if you trust God. Why? If you've given your life to Him, whose life is it? It's His, right? And if you've given it to Him, why are you taking it back? Here, Lord, you can have my life. Just kidding. I want it for tonight. No, okay, you can have it. Hey, if you're not using it Friday night, I sure can use it, you know? We're, we're going out. No, no, no. When you've given your life to the Lord, let him have it and trust his sovereignty. Discouragement will go away when you trust everything you do. There's a reason. God knows that. God knows that. Discouragement. First attack. What's the second attack, Pastor? Well, the second area of attack, if you're taking notes, is fear. Look at verse 4b, right? Ezra 4b says, they troubled them in building. Everybody see that? Ezra 4, the end, they troubled them in building. 
If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word. In the Hebrew, it's bahal, B-A-H-A-L, and it means to tremble inwardly, Ooh, to make afraid, dismayed or alarmed. That's what it means. So when Ezra's writing, he says, listen, here's what these guys did. Here's what they did. They came in and they made us tremble inwardly. Our knees were knocking outwardly, but inside we were, we were afraid. The people caused fear as they began to build. You know, it worked. Why? Because the work stopped for 16 years. The work stopped for 16 years. Guys, I'm telling you, Satan will always attack us through fear. And you go, how, pastor? Guess what they were doing? They were using false reports and threats and by other means. Hey, you keep working, you keep building that temple, we're going to attack you. You keep building, there's going to be war. You keep building, there's these, 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 what, these, these false reports. Listen, listen, there's not enough money for you to handle this. There's not enough, and so all of a sudden it caused fear. Oh man, are you sure we could even do this? Are you sure? Oh man, maybe I stepped out and, listen, I thought we were supposed to rebuild the temple. Maybe we're not supposed to rebuild. What do you think? Should we do? I don't know. Should we do? I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to err on the side of caution and we're not going to do this. And 16 years later, they how come you haven't built a temple? Well, we tried. We tried, but we were discouraged and, and they brought fear. And see, the enemy, the enemy does that how? By false reports and threats. You guys remember Nehemiah, right? He used the same tactics in the book of Nehemiah. How so? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Verse 11 says, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause their work to cease. Cause their work to cease. Discouragement and fear. Fear. That's another attack the enemy comes in. How does he come in? Guys, through false reports and threats. Right? And by other means. You know, you, you, you really want to be on fire for the Lord and your bestest BFF says, dude, chill out, man. Don't be, don't be so excited for Jesus. Listen. You're like, you're like super radical. Come on. And, and, and they get you discouraged and, and I was thinking, so, so if, if the enemy comes in and, and he attacks us through discouragement and he attacks us through fear, how do, we, how do we overcome him who tries to attack our walks by fear? How do we overcome that? Well, it's really simple, guys. We overcome fear by the word of God. Oh, you know, Ben, 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 that's Captain Obvious. No, 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 guys, listen. His words are life. The Bible says that they're active. It's alive. And they're soothing to our soul. And they're, listen to me, they're calming to our spirits and they give power to our days. It's not always easy, but it often comes down to a choice. You go, what choice? You ready? 
Choosing not to allow fear and anxiety to control your life. Choosing to guard your heart. Choosing to focus your mind on what is truth in the midst of uncertain times. Right? Is that not true? Do you not freak out on what may not be true? I do. I have this huge elaborate plan of something in my mind that's not even true. Oh my gosh, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Is that true? It's, that's not true. Let's deal with the truth, right? So we need to, we need to focus, guys. Okay, so what, what do we do? Well, we, we choose not to allow fear and anxiety to control our life. We can't do it. We can't do it. Let, let me let you on a, you ready? Sometimes, for some people, you ready? Control can be an idol. You want to control everything. The problem with control, guys, is that when we don't have control, we worry. And so when we worry, we want to get more control. And when we can't control it, we worry. And so we have to go, listen, I need to, I need to overcome fear by the word of God. Now, Guys, we have 33 verses to remind us that we do not have to fear. I'm not going to go through all 33. Trust me, you're like, 33? Let me give you a couple, okay? Let me just give you a couple. Jot this down and look at them later. Isaiah 41.10 says this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you in my right, with my righteous right hand. Could you imagine? Just, just, here, just a thought. Could you imagine saying that every morning? You get up in the morning and the Lord says, don't fear, I'm with you. Thank you, Lord. Don't be dismayed. Yes, sir, I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. How about this one? How about Psalm 56.3? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. How about Philippians 4, 6 and 7? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Do not be anxious for anything. Do not be anxious. Don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry. You know what that verse is saying? Don't worry be what? Don't worry, right? We're thinking of that song. I know you guys are thinking of that song. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't worry, be happy. You know what he's saying? Don't worry, be holy. Be holy. Why? He says, listen, don't worry. Give your, give your life to the Lord. Walk in him. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. Okay, let me give you one more. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace is what I leave with you. It's not my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Don't be afraid. John 14, 27. It is my own peace that I give you. Sorry, excuse me. Peace is what I leave with you. It's the peace of the Lord. So we've got discouragement. Yeah, pastor, I got it. Okay. We've got what? We've got fear. How do we overcome fear? We get in the word of God. Guys, there are 33. I've only given you four. There are 33 verses that talk on fear alone. 
Well, what's the last area, Pastor? What's the last area? Well, the last area is found in verse 5, right? And you go, what is it? It's the area of frustration. Look at verse 5. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So we have discouragement, fear, and now we have frustration. If you're taking note, let me give you the definition of frustration. Frustration is the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of the inability to change or achieve something. Okay, The feeling of being upset, the feeling of being annoyed, especially because of the inability to change or to achieve something. You go, well, what did they do? Here's how they frustrated Israel. You ready? They bribed the governors under the king to hinder their work. They bribed the governors, right? They hired counselors. Hey, and, and, and go see if they're, go see if they have their permits. Go see if they're, they're fulfilling their contracts. Go make sure they're using the right, they hired all of this to, what? To frustrate God's work. Now, they didn't do it very honestly, did they? Listen, church, our enemy uses the same tactics to get us frustrated in our walks. It may be with other people who are not walking with God, or it might be with other things hindering your time with God. And here's the problem. You go, listen, it, it, it's people, I'm, listen, I'm, I, I, I want... I want to walk with God and I want people to walk and they're not walking with God and I just can't get them to walk with God or it might be, you know, it might be things that seem to be hindering your time with the Lord and you're frustrated because you can't change it. You feel like you can't change it. Well, I want to close our Bible study with five steps, guys, five application for handling frustration. Five steps to just talk about. You guys ready? Number one, When it comes to frustration, we've got to ask ourselves this question. What did I do to cause this? What did I do to cause this? You go, whoa, 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 whoa. How do I handle that? Well, well, listen, sometimes we're frustrated and yet we're the root cause. You go, what are you you saying? Guys, the best way to handle frustration is, is being honest with yourself. What did I do to cause this? Okay, because then you can fix it. Number two, second step to handling frustration. What can I learn from this? You're frustrated in your walk. You're discouraged in your walk. There's some fear. What can I, what can I learn from this? Here's what I would encourage you to do, church. Take what the enemy is using and turn it on its head. Learn from it and give it to God. Use this irritation as an opportunity to become more like Christ. What can I learn? What can I learn? 
Those should be, guys, number one, we should ask, hey, where, 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 where do I fit in all of this? Maybe I'm the root cause. Maybe I am just have a bad attitude, whatever it might be. Or second thing is like, okay, listen, I'm really frustrated in my walk, but what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to learn from this? The enemy is really, really bugging. What am I supposed to learn? You might need to learn patience. You might need to learn forgiveness. You might need to learn how to communicate. But whatever it is, guys, take it. Take what the enemy is doing and turn it on its head. How about number three? Jot this down. Always be thankful in each situation. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. Listen, you don't have to be thankful for a bad situation, but you can be thankful in a bad situation. Frustration may be a blessing in disguise. Always be thankful. Guys, we got to guard our hearts and our minds. We really need to see the good in things, even if it's a bad situation. That's going to keep us, even when we're frustrated, even when we're just like, oh, we need to see and we need to, we need to vocalize those things. Lord, thank you. For this situation. Thank you, God. I know you're working out for a greater, a greater good. Number four, turn your frown upside down. You go, what is that about? A sense of humor is God's antidote for anger and frustration. A sense of humor. Sometimes when we're frustrated and we're angry, we need, a, we need a good laugh. You need to let loose sometimes and just have fun. Let me say this to you. Guys, we take the things of God very, very seriously. But we shouldn't take ourselves so serious. Number five, be filled with God's love. Be filled with God's love. You go, why, Pastor? We get irritated because we think everyone and everything has to revolve around us. But see, love concentrates on the other person. You want, you want the antidote to frustration? Put others first. Put others first. Be filled with God's love. These are, guys, these are five easy steps to handling frustration. Well, pastor, will it go away? You're still going to be attacked. How? Discouragement. Why? The enemy wants to influence and control you. He's still going to come in by fear. We recognize that. Okay. And he still wants to get us frustrated. We get it. We get it. And now we have tools to overcome that. We have tools to overcome that. Guys, as we move into communion. My prayer is that you would spend time just thinking about that, thinking about the areas of attack, thinking about, thinking about your life and thinking about what, what the children of Israel have gone to. Why? Well, the Bible says that these things were written, right? The things we're learning for our admonition. Not for us to rebuke Israel, go, see, you guys don't get it, but so that we can learn and we can grow. 
And we go, oh, okay, I see, I see, I see. Okay, yes, the enemy's trying to discourage me. I'm not going to let him. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to put on the full armor of God, and I'm going to say, Lord, today I choose joy. Today I choose peace. Today I choose happiness. Work with me on this, Lord. Help me. Guide me, Lord. I need this. I need this. Today, (laughs) we're just going to laugh. We're just going to laugh. Why? Because, Because God's got this. Pastor, you're nuts because bad things happen. People die. There's accidents. But God's got this. God's got this. I believe that. And in this Christmas season, guys, my encouragement to all of us is that we would be filled with God's love so that we can share some of it. You see, the greatest presents aren't going to be under the tree this year. The greatest presents are going to be in your heart to someone who needs it. But what do I need to do? Will you just pray? Would you just pray? Say, God, how can you use me today? And God will send the hurting and the broken right where you're at. And you labor the minister. And then, man, you're just so fulfilled. And you say, God, can we do this again? Can we do this again? You know, Pastor, I don't know what to say. Guys, sometimes the best thing to do is sometimes maybe just cry with somebody. I think of the little boy whose mom sent him to buy some sugar at the grocery store way back in the day and seemed to be taking a lot longer than normal. And when the kid finally got home, the mom was a little bit frustrated and she said, what took you so long? And he said, oh, I saw another little fella sitting on the side of the road and I stopped to help him fix his bike. And the mom said, I didn't know you knew anything about bikes. And he goes, well, I really didn't help him fix it. I just sat and cried with him for a while. And I think... Wow. Sometimes we don't know how to fix what's wrong, but we can sit and cry with them for a while. And I think that's it's being filled with God's love. So Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. And as we get ready to partake in communion, we just want to meditate on these things. We thank you for our foundation series, God, because you are building a foundation in our hearts. We can see the enemy at work, but we don't have to fear. You win. And because you win, we win. So as we worship you now, Lord, we give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 
or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.